Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back with the Post-Gazette and Daily Collegian Penn State insider Seth Engel to talk about a surprising amount of, of Penn State headlines this week. Seth, how are you? Doing well. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had Thon this weekend, so that was that was fun. Got a little availability there. Got to talk to James last week, too. Um, I think we covered that in the last episode. Um, but yeah, there, there's news to be had and, and news to discuss. So we'll go over all that today. We're going to start with Abdul Carter switching from linebacker to defensive end as our, our big topic today. We're also going to get into the Jopa um, controversy with, with naming the field after him. We're going to talk a little bit about Kanye Clary leaving the basketball team, leading scorer there. Um, Seth, let's, let's start with, with Abdul Carter switching positions. Um, what's your read on the motivations here? Is it is it the abundance that Penn State kind of has at linebacker with some of these young guys coming up? Is it the fit in Tom Allen's defense? Is it the loss of guys like Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac up front? Or is it is it just the combination of all of it? I think it is a combination of a lot of things. Um, you know, talking about Tom Allen's system at Indiana, you know, he is used to having some hybrid guys who can play on the D-line and also play linebacker. Um, and James Franklin is familiar with a system like that as well. You know, we, we've seen Jesse Lucetta play a role like that. Um, you know, even this past year, having, you know, three defensive ends on, on the D-line, like stuff like that where it gets a little weird and creative. Like James Franklin hasn't shied away from, from okaying those types of moves. Uh, to me, this is what it looks like if Micah Parsons were to have played that third year. Um, I, I think I think they would have probably put him more in the D line, like we've seen him at the NFL level. Um, and I think Abdul Carter, they might see somewhat of a similar skill set in him to Parsons. So really, you know, one for him, it, it, it's probably better as an as an NFL prospect to be a defensive end rather than just purely a linebacker. Um, and I also just think this opens up the door for what he's able to do, whether that's you know back in coverage as a linebacker, whether that's you know as a pure pass rusher on the D line. Yeah, I think you led in well to my next question, which is obviously this is a guy with NFL draft, you know, aspirations, and that you know we know that the middle linebacker has has been devalued, and it's it's all about the pass rushers in the NFL if, if you want to get drafted high. Um, you mentioned Michael Parsons and and where he plays in the pros. Um, do you think do you think it's motivated purely by um, NFL draft aspirations, or do you think Penn State also could get more out of this guy? Because I, we've had this conversation on the podcast before. I felt at times that you look at Abdul Carter and you say, "Look, he's a good player. He's obviously physically talented. He makes plays that that other guys can't make." 
But I don't know that, that we've really gotten to see him dominate the way I think a lot of Penn State fans had hoped. Um, he hasn't quite evoked Micah Parsons in the Cotton Bowl to me yet. And, and is this maybe a bid for him to be in a position where he could have more impact, maybe rack up 10 sacks in a season? I think he only has 11 in, in two seasons. Is this just more about, about Penn State being able to use him better as well, not just about what's making him happy in terms of the NFL draft? Well, I think we saw, you know, maybe flashes of greatness in that true freshman year in 2022. And then this past year, you know, took a little step back, especially when he was thrown into coverage situations. Um, when you look at Penn State's defensive ends of the past few years, especially this past season with Adise Isaac and Chop Robinson, like their stats will pop out at you. Um, and they, I mean, tons of highlight plays, you know, all throughout the year, I, I think, you know, to your point, this is probably a moment for Abdul Carter to rack up, you know, double-digit sack numbers and really um, take a hold of that defense, you know, and also kind of lead the way in the stat category um, and really make his name as, you know, one of the best pass rushers in college football. Because right now, I don't know if you really look at him and you say, this is a pure pass rusher. You know, he's a linebacker who had, what was it, four and a half sacks this past year. You know, he's good if they send him, but a lot of the times he's not used in those situations. Um, so I think putting him there is a good move, especially, you know, with with the two starting defensive ends off to the NFL. Yeah, I agree. I just – I don't know if you get the most out of it. I mean, it's the same reason – this, this NFL draft conversation is, is, I think, the same reason if you're Penn State you want to get more out of him. And, and um, you know, I, I think the interests kind of align here, and, and I think that's why it makes sense for me. Um I wanted to ask a little bit. He's a little bit undersized, though, um, compared to some of the guys Penn State's had up front. Is that a concern for you at all going up against, you know, some of the big defensive or, yeah, big offensive lines he's going to see in the Big Ten? You know, I'm not I'm not uh, really concerned about that. You know, having stood by this dude before, um, he's 6'3", 250 pounds. And I think you, if you look at Adisa Isaac right around the same weight, maybe – an inch taller, you know, that's, it's not going to be too much of a concern. I think people said the same thing about Chop Robinson too. Um, you know, when he had played some linebacker and then he came to Penn state, pure defensive end um, chops, not the biggest guy in the world. We've seen his, his kind of wingspan isn't necessarily eye opening, but if you can make it work, you can make it work. Uh, and I think Chop Robinson showed that Adisa Isaac, you know, obviously a little bitter, a little bigger, but um, worked for him too. And uh, I think if you can get to the quarterback by any means necessary, maybe doing it athletically like Chop Robinson has using your speed rather than by using your size. Um, you know, I think, I think that's something that James Franklin has put an emphasis on of, especially right now when guys are, you know, hitting the weights and winter workouts. Um, it's not all about being the biggest player you can possibly be. You have to be a certain size that'll allow you to move and make the most out of your position um, and I do think Abdul Carter is a good example um, of a player who might not be the biggest, but um, if he can play, he can play. Um, so, so I, I mean, I think I answered for myself, but do, do you feel like this is this is a net positive for, for the, the defense and that this is, you know, that this is the direction that this had to go? Or, or do you see any other downsides? Uh, I think it could be a positive for sure. Um there was a question who was going to start on the uh, at defensive end beside Denai Dennis Sutton, um, and Ab Abdul Carter, you know, obviously fills that hole. Now the question is, what happens at linebacker? Um, you know, obviously Kobe King is going to command the middle there, um, but you have you know now the opportunity to play 
a guy who was a true freshman last year and Tony Rojas um, on one side. And then the other, you know, maybe you give it to Dom DeLuca. Um, it also maybe says a lot about some of these other young linebackers that they have coming up, like Kavion Keys and Tamir Robinson, um, where, you know, didn't play a ton last year, but at this point, you know, they might have confidence in them enough to the point where, you know, they could they could play some reasonable minutes um, with Abdul going to the D-line. Now, now, this is another thing that I've, you know, kind of talked about before, but uh, I don't think Abdul is going to stay on the D-line the whole time. Like, I think there's a chance for him to move back and play some linebacker too, just to even it out. Because uh, there is good depth at, uh, at defensive end. But um, overall, you know, I, I think it kind of allows for, for a lot of moving pieces and things to happen. Seth, you mentioned at the top of the show that this was Thon weekend. Um, winter workouts are underway up in Happy Valley, so some of the players uh, had a chance to speak with the media. Uh, I know Drew Aller was one of them. Um, can you just recap any any noteworthy tidbits that you got from from speaking to the players this weekend? Yeah, so I you know I talked to Drew for the whole time. Uh, I think we had about twelve minutes there. Um, Nick spoke, and Tyler Warren was there too. Some other guys. Um, but right now, you know, that was the first day that I had seen some of these transfers, um, in person before like Fleming and, and Nolan Rucci and, you know, AJ Harris, Jalen Kimber. And it was interesting to kind of see, especially for some of these PA guys, they're in their Penn State jerseys now. Like after all these years of trying to recruit Julian Fleming and Nolan Rucci, like these guys are wearing their Penn State jerseys. They're in person, they're in Holuba Hall. Um, so that was kind of my focus of the day. And, um, talking to Drew and, you know, getting his kind of first impressions on Julian Fleming was, was pretty interesting um, where he said, you know, well, James said that he's a, he's been a quiet guy since he's gotten there. Uh, Cause I just think as a transfer, you can't come in all cocky, you know, you kind of got to put your head down and just work for a little bit until you acclimate yourself. And he's done that. Um, but he's also had some conversations with Drew and um, you know, really start to build that relationship, which is something that I, I don't really think Drew had that much of with his receiving core last season. Yeah, that that's good to hear. I think from from a from a Penn State perspective, um, Seth, I know that there was some conversation about the new offense too with with Andy Kotelnicki. Um, what did Drew Aller have to say about his early impressions of of the new offense? Because I think this is um, you know one of the first chances, other than the the Peach Bowl, we've gotten to hear from him. Now that he's really involved in this, not just hypothetical. Um, what did he have to say? Maybe what did some of these other guys have to say? So, I mean, the big thing, and it's kind of comparing the playbook of Kotal Nicky and Mike Yersich, um, without them actually saying the name of Mike Yersich, is that this is just, it's obviously a complicated playbook, but the way that, that Kotal Nicky is laying it up is in a very unique way, and it's making it easy for some of these guys to learn it, um, where it's kind of free, it's, it's, it's free-flowing, and um, it's laid back. Um, and I think, I, from what I've heard, Kotal Nicky is, kind of explaining it in a way that's allowing people to just understand it more. Um, obviously there are a lot of moving pieces and um, you know, he's a guy that will kind of just throw something new at a defense each week. But um, you know, Drew seems to be comfortable with the system and you know, what was kind of interesting too, to listen to him talk about was the comparison between Kotal Nicky's system and maybe that of a West coast offense, like, like Sean McVay with the Rams or, or Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers where um, he said, you know, he's been watching tape of, of NFL teams. He said Danny O'Brien's gone through about 12 NFL teams tape already um, to kind of showcase like this. This is similar to the offensive system that we might be running. 
uh, where it might look a little more like an NFL style um, than maybe we've seen from Penn State in recent years. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And, and having just gone through the whole OC search with the Steelers, I know that was that was something that excited a lot of Steelers fans was the possibility of them going and, and getting somebody off that Sean McVay tree. Obviously, they don't. They go get Arthur Smith. Um, and that's been the source of some disappointment. But listen, if you're one of those uh, those Steelers and Penn State fans that you cr- your loyalties cross over, um, do you think it's fair to say maybe maybe you're going to get more of what you were hoping to see out of the Steelers from Penn State this year? Yeah, no, I think Arthur Smith will be all right though. But it is interesting, like how you can kind of see uh, maybe some similarities this year between you know, what Penn State's able to do. And then you look over at another team and say, well, they're running, you know, almost identical systems um, with maybe just a little bit more creativity sprinkled in there. So um, that'll be cool to see. I'm looking forward to just how this Kotal Nikki system really plays out because we've heard so many good things. Um, and I, I mean, I talked to some former NFL players a couple months back um, and it just seems like a comfortable system to be a part of, um, especially if you're, you're a playmaker. He's going to use you. You know, if you're Tyler Warren, um, I'd expect to hear your name called a ton and, and get a ton of targets next year. Um, so we'll we'll see. You know, as as winter workouts go along, but um, from what I hear, all things seem to be going pretty well right now. Seth, um, one other noteworthy thing on offense with the the current program. Uh, before we get into some ancient program history here in a second. Um, Lyric Samuel, the wide receiver from um, Brooklyn, commits to Penn State. He's a three-star. His other offers were, as far as I could track, Rutgers, Syracuse, West Virginia, Michigan State. Um, I guess the question I have for you, Seth, is, listen, this guy could turn out to be the next Deion Butler. He could turn out to be a a great player for Penn State. But you look at the sheet, and it says three-star. It says offers from programs that are not Penn State's peer. Um, do you look at, at a commit like this and, and say, man, Penn State's still not competing in recruiting at the level it needs to be, um, you know, especially a wide receiver, a position you have, and I have spent so much time talking about in the past six months. Um, is it ultimately, I don't want to say it's a disappointment. It's a great moment for the kid. I think, he, you know, he could have potential here. But if you're looking at the just the, the, the pertinence, is it a sign that Penn State still is not talking about the types of players that you'd like them to be? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a problem. Um, but, you know, I think when you're struggling to bring in, you know, four- and five-star recruits, I think it does help if you're able to just bring in a bunch of guys, um, which I think they did struggle with, you know, over 2022 and 2023, um, to just bring in dudes who can compete, um, and that'll – you know, even the playing field. Um, but, you know, you look back to last recruiting class too, that was, that just signed 2024, you know, there wasn't a single four-star recruit in there. Um, and now we're seeing again, um, the first commitment of, of 2025 is another three-star, you know, he's in the seven hundreds, you know, nationally. Uh, but I think you got to give him a chance too. Um, and that's some, when you look at some of the best Penn state wide receivers of maybe the past decade, um, some of these guys weren't too highly touted when they got out of high school. You know, maybe KJ Hamler's a lone exception to that. Uh, but it's not like Jahan Dotson was, you know, number one receiver in the country, you know, Allen mm-hmm. Robinson too. Um, so being able to give these guys more of a chance, I think is important. Um, and a guy like Samuel who, you know, he's just around six foot four and he's, you know, he's a junior in high school right now. You know, that's a bit eye opening. And I've seen, you know, his tape and he looks like he, he could have, 
you know, some skills that he can bring to the table. Um, so really giving him a chance, I think is important, but, you know, I, I do think it is, you know, a certain level of concern that they're, they've been unable to bring in some of these highly touted wide receiver recruits in recent years. Is it a matter of you want to give, I think this is where I am. I want to give the player the benefit of the doubt, right? Um, yeah. Right. He does have a nice frame. You think if he gets into Penn State's strength program, um, you know, and, and a little bit of development, maybe they can figure out ways to leverage that. It, to me, it's not about the player. I think it's more, I'll give the player the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if I'm willing to give the coaching staff the same benefit of the doubt given yeah. the track record over the last several years. May that may be a better way to be, you know, critical of, of you know, not just this move, but I, I think the way they have treated the position generally and the way this move kind of fits into that tapestry. Yeah, I mean, you'd think after a season like last year that they've been, they'd be going all out right now on the recruiting trail to try to bring in um, some really talented wide receiver prospects, and it just hasn't really been the case. Um, the problem, too, has just been the development of some of these guys where, you know, when I talked about bringing in, you know, the Jahan Dotsons of the world who maybe aren't the number one receiver out of high school but turn into these, you know, all-American caliber players – um, I don't know if that spark is necessarily there to be able to do that with some of these lower ranked guys right now. Um, at least we haven't seen it yet. You know, we, it's only been one one season with Marcus Hagens, you know, as the position coach. So maybe giving him some more time as well to be able to recruit and bring in his bring in his own guys and and coach them the way that you know he wanted to and the way that he told them he was going to uh, on the recruiting trail. I think is important, but it, yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a concern. Um, especially after, you know, seeing what happened last year with the receivers, um, it's got, you got to improve. You know, I just don't see Penn state being a playoff contender if their wide receiver core is playing as it did last year. Well, while we're talking about recruiting Seth, because I think these two things are related and other people might not, but I'm about to go on a bit of a sermon here because we're going to talk about the board of trustees or at least a group of members of the board of trustees, including, Ted Brown, Jay Paterno, um, Anthony Lebrano, trying to put forward a, a motion to name the football field at Beaver Stadium after Joe Paterno. Um, and listen, I know some of you listening to this podcast are probably the, the types of people that have been in my Twitter mentions for the last decade plus <laughs> of my life talking about how Joe Paterno was never this is we're not litigating that today on this podcast. I don't care whether he was charged. I don't we're not talking about the man's legacy. What we're talking about, Seth, and what rubs me the wrong way about this is, is this what we're focused on still after the whole blow-up last spring when Micah Shrewsbury leaves for, for Notre Dame? We have this big NIL conversation. Penn State's taken some, some steps in the right direction, but how are we still talking about this? And is this not emblematic of are the is the, the donor class and the people who should be out there writing checks to four and five star wide receivers to get them to come to Happy Valley via NIL money that they're still sitting here talking about whether we're going to name the field at Beaver Stadium after Joe Paterno because that's all I see. I see a bunch of people who do not want to win nearly as much as they want to relitigate the the past endlessly. Am I wrong here? Am I misreading this? It's it's weird. It's just a weird situation. Um, where, I mean, Penn State fans, like, they're, they're passionate. I completely understand it. It's obviously a huge, you know, tradition aspect and history with Joe Paterno 
um, and, you know, decades and decades of people who were part of the community when, when he coached here. Um, but at the same time, the past decade has, has really worked so hard to just back away from that time period and move on um, into a new era of Penn State football. And I think James Franklin, for, for his flaws, um, which there have been some, I think he has successfully moved on from that era. And I think Pat Kraft coming in now, it is the, the football program and the athletic department has, has successfully transitioned from that era, from that bad time where, you know, people like Sandy Barber had to step in and basically just figure it out. And, and I just don't think that going back to, um, going back to those days is really, really the right move. And I think that everyone outside of the Penn state community would agree with that statement. Um, now I know not everyone's going to agree with that, but it is, it is weird, right? With all these changes in college football, this is what's being discussed. You know, with, with all the changes that are going on with Penn State University, you know, this is what's being discussed right now. Um, and it kind of came out of nowhere, too. And Brandon Short, you know, he claimed that it was a political stunt. And, you know, after after listening back on the tape and reading the transcript, it sounded like it was. So, you know, it's a, it's a complicated situation, but it's just it's weird. You know, bottom line. Well, I, I think, Seth, you say that they've successfully transitioned. I don't know if I'm completely on that same page. Yeah. And it's not because of anything that's that's in James Franklin's control. I just think traditionally it's easy to make a distinction between what's going on in the athletic department and, and the athletic department kind of being able to do what it wants to do and what's going on in Old Main and what's going on on the Board of Trustees. And I just think that that in this age of NIL and when we're in the Wild West here, that this is, this is much more about institutional philosophy from the very top down. The board of trustees, the president's office, they set the table for, for a lot of this stuff, right? And, and you know, the same people that we're talking about doing this Joe Pa recognition, Jay Paterno, Anthony Lebron at the top of the list, both were heavily involved in the, in the collectives in the early days. Um, I'm not sure they're as directly involved with the NIL collectives now, but they're the same people, Seth. They're the same people we were talking about in the spring. When we were talking about Micah Shrewsbury, um, you and I talked about how Michigan seems to want to do everything it takes. Their president is out there defending everything that Michigan and, you know, Jim Harbaugh has done over the last year when he's been suspended for six out of 12 games. Ohio State's hiring Bill O'Brien, and then he's going, like, once Bill O'Brien leaves, they go out and they hire Chip Kelly and they take him from UCLA. Penn State's not making moves like this. And and I just, can can we say that despite James Franklin's best efforts, that, that, the program really has moved on until everyone is rowing in the same direction. Cause I just, I don't, I don't know if I see it that way. I think there's people that are rowing against him. And I think this is just yeah. the latest example. It, it's definitely improved. You know, I, I take back what I said earlier when I said that they're there and that they've moved on. Um, but I think it is fair to say that they have improved, you know, especially with the people that work directly with James Franklin, um, like Neely Bendapudi and Pat Kraft, uh, where this past year, you know, James Franklin has said the whole time, like this is almost every every availability we have with with James. You know, he's saying the alignment is just it's like a it's like it's like fresh. It's new. It's everything that he kind of wanted since he took over. And it just wasn't necessarily the case because it was still so fresh of, of, of the whole scandal. It was just, you know, a couple of years before he took over and um, a decade later. And it's it has improved. 
You know, I think, you think, you think a lot of this stuff is noise, Seth, you know, that, that you, it gets, it gets someone like me fired up, especially because that's when I was in school. That's kind of my era was, was the scandal era, but, but that ultimately the, the people who actually matter are rowing in the same direction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely um, problematic when the board of trustees is so split with some people trying to move on and move forward with the university. And there are others who have just, they're trying to cling to, you know, 2010 and then before that. Um, and I just I just don't think that that's necessarily the way to go. Um, but, you know, obviously different perspectives here having, you know, I'm here right now and you were there, you know, at the at the height of, you know, this whole situation. Um, so it's just. It's messy and it might it might always be messy because it's Penn State and that's just, you know, after something like that, it's not ever going to be a clean transition. Um but, you know, I think with with Pat Kraft and with Neely Bendapudi working side by side with James Franklin, I think things are better than maybe they were five years ago. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's that's the net positive. It's, it's just, you know, it was, so when you hear it's unfortunate, I think, for for Joe Paterno's memory, especially for yeah. the people that I think were, were pre, you know, predisposed to give him some benefit of the doubt in the whole situation that, that Jay Paterno has turned that name into something you basically roll your eyes at every time you hear it. And, it, and it's because of what Jay has done since then, more so than what happened in the original situation. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm sure I'll catch some flack in the comments here for calling Jay out that way, but it's time to move on. And, and I'm not, you know, I've been saying that on Twitter for a decade and I'm going to continue to say it here, there, everywhere. Um, Seth, let's get into the basketball a little bit before we wrap up here. Uh, Kanye Clary leaves the program. Um, was this a two dogs, one bone situation for you with Ace Baldwin? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. How are you going to make this work with two point guards? Um, you know, two guys who are pretty talented who have you know playing the same position. Um, I guess we have our answer now. You're not going to make it work. Um, is that is that what happened here? Yeah, it's kind of crazy how it. It, it turned into something like that where, you know, just a few weeks ago, Kanye goes down, Ace takes over. They go on a three-game win streak. You go, well, how are they going to run this system when he comes back? Because they look pretty good under Ace Baldwin right now. Um, Kanye obviously doesn't travel with the team to Nebraska on Saturday. And two days later, you know, Mike Rhodes announced he's off the team. Um, you know, I don't know anything specific. But, you know, my guess is that this – was a situation of, of someone not necessarily wanting to play in the role or in the style um, of what the head coach wanted to. Um, and it just worked in, in a way where I guess he was technically dismissed. Um, you know, Mike Rhodes said it was a coach's decision. Um, but, you know, Kanye Clary wasn't a guy who was recruited by Mike Rhodes officially. Um, this was a guy who stuck around and saw some personal success in the early season um, and since then, I think Penn State has tried their best to, you know, really come together as a team and play to to a certain system. Because I think there was a time early in the year when you watched that offense and you say, well, they're not really doing anything, especially when Kanye had the ball. You know, he, he wouldn't really pass the ball. I think he had, what, two assists a game. Um, he would, you know, drive to the rim and take some crazy shots. And um, it wasn't necessarily doing anything good for the team like maybe we saw with Jalen Pickett when he was the number one. Um, and I think it just kind of exploded. And, you know, Ace Baldwin has found his rhythm, and um, he's the surefire leader of the team now. So 
Um, that that's what I think happened, and um, you know, Penn State's going to play in Rec Hall on Wednesday. Do you think this is uh, where does this leave the program? Because obviously, he's one of the, if not the only, significant holdover from from the Shrewsbury era. Um, do you think it's because of what you're mentioning and, and the system that they want to play? Obviously, Ace Baldwin comes here with you know the pre-existing relationship with Mike Rhodes. Is this and I feel like we when people when they say this in sports talk editions by subtraction, you're referring to someone's character. I don't want that to come across as an addition by subtraction comment about you know Kanye Clary. I'm just saying in terms of you know now you you kind of know what your team is. Is is that the the positive that, that you're taking out of this? Is that you know this is Ace Baldwin's team's team now? They're moving forward with him and and building everything around him rather than trying to figure out what the identity is. Yeah, I do think it is that, you know, just this whole year has been an experiment of just trying to figure out how this team is going to play. Um, and like I said before, you know, didn't see that in the first you know month of the season. Um, but since then, you know, I think that three game win streak where they win a couple of games on the road, um, that was important. You know, that was important in determining, you know, what this team is capable of doing, how they want to play. Uh, and just, you know, frankly, I just don't think Kanye really fit the mold. Um, if you want to play in a micro system, you have to play really hardcore defense and you have to play with the same intensity on offense. Um, and you have to be able to do both. And I just don't think that, that Kanye was really getting it done on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and he wasn't necessarily uh, making things happen for other people on offense. You know, it was really just him. And when you have other playmakers, specifically Ace Baldwin Jr., um, that you got to, you know, and then DeMarco Dunn as well. You got to share the rock with, um, you know, I just don't think Kanye was necessarily living up to that standard. You mentioned the return to rec hall on Wednesday. We're recording this on Tuesday, but we're going to publish it Wednesday morning. Um, uh, Seth, how important is, is our events like this for this program? And, and should rec hall, I think we talked a little bit about this earlier in the season, but, you know, football season's such a blur. I figure we give this, you know, a, a chance to chat now. Um is this something that should be part of, of the whole strategy of the program, especially in those kind of early season and, and holiday uh, break situations where the BJC is empty, there's no juice um, for understandable reasons. Should we see more of this from this program is, is not just like, here's a novelty event. Let's go back to rec hall for the first time in, you know, roughly a decade, but you know, maybe making Penn state more of a combination program that you see in, in both buildings kind of kind of like we do with with wrestling um and and i guess as part of that does, it, does this kind of sharpen the focus on on some of the the movement to to renovate rec hall a little because i know that's something kale sanderson has wanted you know in terms of keeping yeah. his program at, at the top of of you know the wrestling world yeah it would be great and i i've said this for games like when they're playing some of those non-conference teams at the beginning of the season and you're just I mean that the BJC is relatively empty uh, for some of those games. It's it's you say to yourself like why can't they just put them in rec hall? Like it would look full. It would look full um, when you put the people that are in the BJC for those games um, into rec hall. I just think that would work out, and it's it's an enjoyable it's an enjoyable atmosphere. Um, you know, it's more intimate. You know, as a viewing experience for sure. Um, so I'm looking forward to this game. You know, because going to the Palestra, I think was you know somewhat similar. Um, you know, obviously I was in Philly, but um, to be able to have Rec Hall, which is basically, you know, it was the same the same designer um, of, of the Palestra. It was just a year apart. 
Um, for you to have that in your backyard as well, there's really no reason for you not to play a rec hall game at least once a season. Like that's what I don't understand is it's been almost a decade. It's been 2015, I think, was the last game. Um, just throw them in there. You know, it's a cool, it's a cool game. It'll get people to go. Um, it also, you know, teaches the team a little bit about history too, um, which I think the Palestra game did as well. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I've never seen basketball in rec hall before. So this is this will be uh, new for me and should be fun. What is um, what's your read on on Mike Rhodes' thoughts on that? I mean, the, the fact that he's the one bringing this back in his first year with the team. Do you mm-hmm. think that he's recognizing on some level? And and you know, I don't think it's necessarily all only on Mike Rhodes either. Obviously, this is an institutional um, you know strategy call. Um, but just just in terms of what you've you've gleaned from him, do you do you think that he he sees it as important? Yeah, I do. And I think that him being a Schuylkill County native, which he repeats all the time, like he's a PA guy. He understands the Penn State culture. And I remember his introductory press conference, you know, him talking about going to games at Rec Hall, like with his dad and and watching games there. Um, So for him to return there, it's really a personal thing. And I think he shares that with a lot of people in the community. Um, Playing at the Palestra was the same thing. I know Penn State's played there the past couple of years. Uh, but it's not like Micah Shrewsbury, an Indiana native, has that same connection to that building uh, that Mike Rhodes does. So to go there and win um, the way that he did was a big deal. And for him to go to Rec Hall is a big deal. And I think this all kind of um, collaborates with with this big idea that Penn State basketball um, is really trying to invest, um, you know, or, or the university is trying to invest in its basketball program for the first time and maybe ever. Um, and I think that there's success in the transfer portal. Um, and this most recent recruiting class, I think, shows that. And also Mike Rhodes' contract shows that as well. Um, so I do think Penn State basketball is moving on, showing some signs of improvement, and also just showing a connection to, to the community and, and the state of Pennsylvania. will be interesting to watch that play out on Wednesday night. Um, Seth, thanks for joining me. This was this was an unexpectedly busy week of topics, um, especially with, with the Joe Pa commotion. Thanks for letting me get my, uh, my feelings out there. And we will we'll reconvene here next week. Um, we're also stay tuned Thursday. I'll be back with Paul Zeiss talking a whole bunch of different topics. We'll probably talk a little Joe Pa as well um, because Paul Zeiss wrote a you know pretty uh, pretty well read column this past week on the topic. So I'm sure me and him will toss that around. I'll also be back on Saturday. We'll be doing our latest NFL mock draft tracker video on the Steelers and, and some of the choices that are being made for them around the internet so make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're not already so you can check that out if you enjoyed this video please like it help us out in the youtube algorithm we always appreciate that um seth looking forward to, to talking more next week yep take care thank you for checking out this content from post gazette sports if you watch this video on youtube please like the video and subscribe to our channel for all of the sports coverage the post gazette has to offer visit post-gazette.com